0: back. Chris, again, you know, thank you for all the hard work in organizing this wonderful conference. And uh, I'm uh, seeing Bobby Rahal right now. We're going to bring him on and uh, we'll uh, we'll get our production team to coordinate with Adrian. And uh, we'll get let you get started, Chris, with Bobby first. And uh, we are going to ask him to start his video and camera and we should be uh, going. So, Adrian, you... He should be with us any second. Our team is in touch with his team. So why don't you start, Chris, with uh, while we have Bobby, and we're going to get Adrian on. Good morning, Bobby.
1: Hey, good morning. Good morning. Morning, Bobby. Thanks so much for joining us. And, and thanks for being first. I'll have yep. you know that Adrian, Adrian asked for you to be with him. He was so keen to do, do this with you, and now you've beaten him to the punch. <laughs>
2: well, you know, uh, Adrian's God, so he can be late.
1: Wow, uh, very kind of you to say. I know you uh, you wanted to work with him on multiple occasions during your career. Just uh, where are you joining us from today?
2: Uh, Indianapolis and our new headquarters here. So um, yeah, I think I'm in the right place.
1: Yeah, certainly. Are. Thank you for thank you for being with us this morning. And Adrian, it looks like is is just popping up as well. So um, we'll let him get his camera running and microphone live uh, over a few seconds, and then. I've I've already said in a, in our little build up here that really my role is just to tee you guys up to chat because um, with the experience and history you have and and the friendship you two have as mm-hmm. well it's going to be oh, I think right just right fascinating right. to everyone to hear the two of you catch up so Adrian good morning and thank you for joining us right
2: good morning how are you there he is
1: yeah very well thank you yeah. good 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 so
3: battling with Zoom we never use Zoom it's just yeah. a pain in the backside but anyway. <laughs>
1: not a problem at all and we really appreciate this because if I understand rightly you're on holiday already aren't you well, I say already but after the end of the F1 season uh
3: no not really no we've, definitely not holiday yet it's um kind of all you know really the you start thinking about the next season from kind of springtime and and we're deep into the development of next year's car now
1: well, I do apologise. That was um, Paul told me that you might be uh, might be trying to have a bit of a break. But uh, either way, thank you so much, then, oh, for yeah. making the I will, time.
3: I will be um, in a, in a week's time, or so. say, try to get. A okay. break.
1: Oh, yeah. well, very much well earned, and as you say, it's such a busy time for you. But uh, it's great to have you both together for this one because obviously you go way back. And um, Adrian, if I start with you, can you just explain to to anyone who's uh, joining us for this webinar your relationship with Bobby and and kind of where it started? ah
3: crikey well that was really um back in when I was at March which um was run by a guy Robin Hurd, the owner of the of the company and it made production cars for various series um including uh champ car as it was then or cart um and he he started a program of effectively rent an engineer from March out to the teams and so um after my year in in uh, IMSA, GTP in 83, then Robin put me onto that sort of uh engineer for, for hire program. Um, placed me at with um at, at True Sports uh, with Steve Horn. Bobby, of course, was the driver, and and that's where it all started from.
1: And Bobby, what do you remember at that time getting Adrian oh. uh chopped on you? I guess.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Adrian was quite young, uh, younger than I, uh, I think I was 29 or no, I was probably 30 or 31 at the time. Cause I started Indy car racing at 29. Uh, but, um, which was young in those days based on when you could start driving, in a, in the U S. Um, but Adrian came to us in 84, as he said, and, um, you know, we were, a we were a small team that had had some success. Um, but, um, uh, you know, the 82 season had been pretty good. 83 was okay, but, uh, you know, we wanted better. And Jim Truman, who owned the team, uh, had developed a relationship with Robin Hurton and, um, we managed to, uh, sign an agreement. I remember signing it at, uh, Phoenix prior to the race weekend that, that year in, in 83. And, um, And uh, we, we, you know, I don't know if we quite knew who we were getting, but we got Adrian. Of course, he had spent some time over here because of the GTP program. But Adrian came and lived in in, uh, Columbus uh, with us. And uh, again, it was a pretty tight-knit, small team, which was maybe good for all of us because uh, uh, we had had to work very closely together. And Adrian was just a, is, not was, is uh, just, um, you know, the relationship that, I built with, with, that we built together, working together. You know, in those days you didn't really have data acquisition, you didn't have, you know, multiple engineers, you didn't have, you know, 50 people back at the factory looking on, looking at video and what have you, it was you and your engineer and that was about it. And uh, so Adrian and I, we, we would we would go out to dinner a lot. We'd, uh, cause he, you know, he was alone a lot of the time. And, um, you know, we just developed this relationship and the communication, I think that um you know i dare say that uh in some respects that probably my it was better than i i had with my wife in terms of communication <laughs> yeah i would uh, you know adrian would answer a question that i'd yet to complete you know i mean it was just that that it was, there was that connection and there's no doubt about it that i think that um that's that had a lot to do with why we were as uh, successful as we were yeah mm-hmm. no it is
3: i mean what what bobby missed out there was that I've done a year of race engineering in F2 um, and then a little bit in the GTP series the previous year but certainly I was kind of quite wet behind the, the years as a race engineer and so it was quite in the deep end um, joining a an IndyCar team and Bobby was incredibly patient with me because I remember the first test was at the short oval at phoenix um the one mile oval and kind of looking at the car and it, those cars kind of looked as if the accident had already happened as far as i could see <laughs> as much as kind of all the front all the wheels are at different camber angles you had the tilt you had this thing called stagger um all a, a complete new learning curve for me and and uh, so it obviously took me a little bit of time to get up to speed with that but bobby was very patient while i tried to to learn my trade learn and um as Bobby just said we we very quickly built up a a very strong bond as a friendship and professionally um kind of you know oh, sorry phone's making a silly noise um uh kind of and then going out in the evenings discussing the car every every sort of Friday evening of a race weekend Saturday evening would always be dinner with with bobby and, and myself and whoever was around um to discuss the car and what we we're going to do for the following day and so forth and so we we really did form a a very tight bond um it was i, I can honestly say that it was kind of in terms of the relationship between driver and race engineer then my relationship with bobby was was ex- was one of the ones that I feel kind of has been the strongest that I've enjoyed it was um it it is almost to go straight in like that and and be so lucky to to work with somebody like well Bobby was incredibly unfortunate and, and um really kind of set me up very well for for my career onwards from after that
1: well I kind of want to pick up on something you said there about learning um and then you know getting the time to learn but kind of how you learn from each other because obviously motorsport is technically uh so complex but it's also about relationships and experience and and how you get on with the people you work with so Adrian from your point of view when you went over there and everything you learned in U.S. racing and the variety of U.S. racing that you worked in how did that then I guess inform your future that became someone who is so revered in the world of Formula One car design now
3: well I think I mean any race car team that's building its own cars as well, then it will have three departments, which is um, aerodynamics, race, um, mechanical design, and then uh, call it vehicle dynamics, which includes all the simulation tools we have now. um, But of course, also includes race engineering. So and in those days, as Bobby said, there was race engineering was simply race engineering. There was no other part to vehicle dynamics. That's that's all there was. So, um, kind of learning one of those three um, key figureheads or key, key departments, learning my trade in one of those departments at that age was completed my, if you like, my initial learning curve, because I, I started in Formula One as a aerodynamicist, done a year and a half as an aerodynamicist. Aerodynamicist at Fitzpaldy. Then at March, um started as a junior draftsman and kind of worked my worked my way up through that. Sorry, that'll stop ringing. So um so it by by the time I joined True Sports, then I kind of done the other two bits of aerodynamicist and mechanical design. So it it completed that part of my training, if you like, that allows me then to be able to take an overview of holistically of, of the whole car in terms of aerodynamics design and, and um how it operates at the track.
2: Yeah, and in, and I, I, might, I might add that um you know there were a lot of eighty four C marches on the grid in those days. I mean March was really the dominant manufacturer at the time. And um uh you had Lola as well. Uh, and in 84 in particular, the Lola was quite a good car. Mario had one, Danny Sullivan had one. It, it was probably, you know, if you looked at how the when the cars first came over, um, probably the Lola was a better car. Um, but as the season progressed with our car, it was because of Adrian's um, insight and intuition about what needed to be done to make the car better. You know, we, we did a number of things to that car to make it, um, uh, more effective. Um, for example, um, cutting the, the underside of the nose further up, so you could run the ride height lower in the front, or lowering the the side pods, the top of the side pods down, because uh, there was a fair amount of drag in the car, and just various things like that. So, and ours was the only '84 March that had that. And frankly, I think ours was the only 84 March that was competitive to the Lolas. And, you know, we won several races that year, uh, but we fought, particularly by probably Cleveland onwards, we fought uh, Andretti and, and and Sullivan pretty much on an equal footing uh, because of all these modifications that Adrian had uh, had put into effect. And again, I think it was because, you know, he had a vision of where that what it should have looked like or what it should look like, you know, and if you were gonna redo it. Uh, and I, I think in those days, the design of the car at March was shared responsibility by a number of people, you know, somebody got the back end and somebody had the front end and, and uh, you know, next thing you know, you have a complete car. But, and of course in 85, when when, uh, when Adrian was with us, the 85 car was, was his baby, really, to my understanding, to yeah. my recollection, and the car was just, a was a much much better car than the 84 car and it really reflected Adrian's I think the uh, insights and intuition and imagination
3: yeah it's certainly a busy period for me because um on the on the back of us getting the um with Bobby's kind of with our race engineering driving um combination and then all the mods that we made to the car which it was a very heavily modified car by mid-season then yes, you know, Bobby was then able to get on terms, as he said, with with Mario and Danny, and um, Robin Heard, of course, was coming over to the state, so he was observing that, and so kind of around that mid-season mark, he said, right, you're in charge of next year's, the design of next year's IndyCar, which um, then gave me quite a busy time kind of commuting backwards and forwards, so race engineering at the weekends, then going back to the UK to get on with the design of the 85 car and, and uh and that continued through the, the history then refuted itself the following year I was doing the same to design the 86 car
1: well apologies from my side to to skip this forward a little bit but I want us to get to kind of where motorsports at right now before the end of this and also a couple of questions from uh people who are watching but I wanted to go to the uh, is, this is partly an interest question on a personal level but the Jaguar years and Bobby when you were trying to bring adrian in to jaguar within formula one to work with you how exciting would that have been from your perspective to have teamed up uh, within formula one and, and how close did it feel like it it came
2: well i mean that would uh you know i, I think there was a lot of uh, comment at the time uh you know when i signed on with uh jaguar you know neil wrestler who was the chief technical officer of ford motor company uh is the one who brought me in Uh, You know, we had been a Ford works team and IndyCar uh, towards the end of my career and then uh, up to that point in 2000, and um, I guess he kind of liked the way we did things. But um, the minute it was announced, all of a sudden, everybody got a lot of comments in the press and by some of the aficionados, oh, well, you know, obviously Adrian's going to go work with with Bobby now. And, um, you know, of course, Adrian. Had a lot of responsibilities and had so much success at the point that you know, and Jaguar was a a team that was trying hard, but you know, needed better direction or what have you. Um, And and so um, it, I mean, obviously, it was something that I I was going to pop the question eventually, (laughs) so because that would only make sense, right? As as my as my responsibilities as team principal of Jaguar Formula One. you know who 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 are you going to get well you want to get the best guy in in the the paddock and that that was adrian uh and still is and uh which is amazing when you think the longevity of his dominance as a as a designer is is something that's just historic um you know unfortunately it didn't work out it is kind of ironic that red bull that ended up taking over the, the jaguar headquarters so I guess it, it is, it's is—it's there in, uh, in spirit, maybe it's nothing else. Um, but, you know, clearly, uh, uh, you know, as I found at the time, um, after my first year there at Jaguar and in Formula One, that, um, you know, that Ford's probably commitment to IndyCar to Formula One was probably not, uh, not um, uh, where it should have been, I remember, at meeting with the CFO of the Premier Auto Group. The Premier Auto Group was Ford's little division that included Jaguar, Land Rover, Volvo. They actually had Cadillac as part of it at one point in time. And I remember trying to explain to this fellow, the CFO, why it was important for us to to, to get Adrian. And and yes, it was a lot of money, but just think how much money he would save us because all those years of R&D would be erased and we'd be able to take advantage of the, you know, we go from we close that gap dramatically. It, it took me a day to make the fellow understand that, um, and that kind of set my, you know, that kind of upset me because, like, well, geez, you know, I don't think Frank Williams had to ask anybody to build a wind tunnel; he just went on and did it, or, or Ron Dennis, or whoever the, the, the fellow might have been. So, in any event, it was, it, I, you know, obviously there, there were a lot of there were a lot of factors out there that were for and against the the two of us coming in, and in the end, Adrian did the right thing. Um, but uh it was fun for a while yeah Jim what do you and remember
3: me it was, was yeah you know, I'd have loved to have worked for Bobby with Bobby um uh, you know always had a good friendship um which continued long after I stopped race engineering in, in IndyCar and went to Formula One um so the opportunities to work together would have been fantastic and that's that's the bit that attracted me to Jaguar um but kind of it it became apparent that there's also quite a lot of politics at board level and so on and so forth, and that made me a bit nervous. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those kind of what if ones. It would, as I said, um, it would have been fabulous to work together. Uh, in the end, I I kind of became nervous of it, um, and, and so it didn't happen. But yeah it, it, in a parallel universe it would have been fascinating to
1: know how that would have worked out yeah it really would have and um but you know I,
2: oh, I actually gotcha. i think it was probably around 1992 because it would have been my team at the time uh i i went out to montreal and and, and uh offered i'm offered a position as uh, one of the principals of, of team ray hall at the time uh you know, because to me, Adrian is just, I mean, that would be the catch of all time, you know, to be able to have Adrian. And, you know, the reality, even then, I think, unfortunately, was that IndyCar was so restrictive in in compared, you know, from an engineering standpoint, uh, and still is to this day compared to Formula One. I mean, let's face it, uh, you know, Formula One is, it's all about the technology, and it's all about the, the, the complexity and what have you. Um, uh, and so, it, you know, It didn't work but i think the thing that's so that's so refreshing or or rewarding probably is a better word is that regardless um you know i i I, my relationship with adrian began in 1983 and here we are what 40 years later and um i was in miami thanks to adrian invited us down my wife and his wife amanda and we just had a great time and it was great to be a part of it and uh you know I just have tremendous pride uh for Adrian just the job he does just amazing and uh so regardless you know over the the history of our relationship there's been you know here you know up down whatever but the strength of it is probably greater today in my mind and I think and Adrian's as well we don't want to speak yeah. for him but the strength is greater today as it's ever been
3: yeah oh sorry I'm nice. not gonna say that. I you said the friendship bit but yeah no that's kind of you no but I think if Bobby says that that friendship between us has endured, um, and that's,
1: that's, you know, a real high point. Yeah, and uh, as you said that, you know, you could have worked together, but but politics kind of was something that you're wary of then. From the outside, it certainly looks like that, that's maybe one of the reasons why you fit so well at Red Bull and the clarity that there was from the leadership there. Is, is that the case? Is that why it's been such a good fit for you and you've been able to really find a home there for such a long period now and turn it into such a dominant racing team?
3: I think that the, the great thing, what attracted me to Red Bull um, really was that kind of, you know, I've been lucky enough to have success at Williams and McLaren. Um, but they were both great teams that had won races and championships long before I arrived. And perhaps in both cases, it got a bit lost, their the competitiveness had gone down a little bit. Um, but when I joined, therefore, my, my job was very much a design-based job. Um, it was trying to improve the competitiveness of the car. The infrastructure of the teams, both teams, was, was well-established. Um, if you wind back slightly further than that, the first team I worked for in Formula One was Leighton House. And that was grew out of March. So for me, it was a natural transition from IndyCar into Formula One. But without effectively changing team, still March, um, and that was a tiny little team. We were literally fifty people and about four or five engineers. Can't believe it by today's standards. Um, and and we had we were a bit. Our performance was a bit erratic. I have to admit, but we we considering the size of the team, we had some a car that could be very competitive. Um, we almost run and run and Ricard in nineteen, and so forth. But is the team was starting to lose its money. Um, Akari um being a little, bit of a naughty boy and ended up in prison for quite some time. The owner, so that team I, I left because it was it was clear the writing was on the wall. Um, but it it felt very much unfinished business that had we had funding and and, and a bit more time maybe we could have got somewhere so when the red bull one offer came up it was really the attraction of being involved in a team more or less from the start and therefore able to kind of mold it and, and and set it up in the way that i felt would work from an engineering point of view um and i think the extra three years four years that i'd had since almost um joined with bobby perhaps that also helped me then to have a bit more just a bit more maturity to that what was really quite a different task which was initially setting up the whole engineering team and getting the infrastructure and the and the work ethics and the communications correct before concentrating as much on the design side
1: well speaking of design this year's rb19 I mean the most successful and dominant Formula One car in history how have you created then a team around you that has been able to produce something like that in a time where is it fair to say it's maybe the most restrictive set of regulations you've had to work under well
3: I think if you go back then then so I, I started at Red Bull very early 2006 um and as I said that it was then kind of setting up the the engineering team and particularly communications seating plans making trying to reduce the meeting culture that seemed to be quite strong um uh, trying to kind of also get people just to talk to each other rather than emailing each other all the time getting all the departments sitting geographically next to each other rather than in different buildings the three departments i referred to earlier so it's getting all that right initially Um, and then from that we've we've just grown that basic structure um managed to attract some great people through the years so fantastic team of engineers that we now have um but try to run it as a very flat structure and of course you have to have an organogram of who's in charge of who but as much as possible we try to run it flat um and that hopefully makes it a place where People enjoy working there. Um, that becomes self eating Feeding that if, if people enjoy working there, then it's easier to track good people. It's easier for them to kind of perform at their best. You know. um, and that has really, as Bobby alluded to earlier, motor racing ultimately is a people sport, and it's it's the people that um, work in the company that are key to its success.
1: Well, um, speaking of people, then, I want to bring in uh, a question that we've had from uh, someone who's following here to to kind of uh, get you both involved in this, because it's uh, from Colin Ashlaw, sorry, Colin, uh, who says, from your perspectives, and maybe Bobby, if you want to start with this, says, how challenging was the transition from the more pure mechanical and analog era of the 1980s to the multi-departmental computer-aided design and engineering of today? Did either of you resist, or was it a natural evolution that you were comfortable with over time?
2: Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly um i think it was probably about 1987 that uh, pi electronics was was created maybe 86 but really uh, some of their products uh put into effect in 87 you know it was crude uh it's very simple i should say probably a better term um uh, but all of a sudden now to have that kind of information i mean that was you know that was fantastic um because it it, it gave credibility to what you might say as a driver um you know now some might say well no it wasn't doing that it was doing this and here look what the data says but I think any driver worth of salt at the time would have would have said yeah this is going to just make me better and the better I understand it and can use it uh, to, to good effect the better I'll be um so for me it was um it was uh uh you know like somebody turning the light on a bit you know that wow you know, So that's really what's going on here you know it's not just yeah because prior to that it was really what you know here you are supposed to be driving 90 to 100 percent, and you had to be able to feel what the car was telling you and then to be able to to verbalize that you know in in a way where the engineer understood it and oftentimes understood it under a real time crunch you know in between runs from qualifying or in between practice sessions or whatever so you know, I think the act, the the advent of, of data acquisition was, was uh, obviously that just grew the the, the 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 pace of racing, racing cars, uh, so much in that brief period of time. And uh, you know, obviously, you know, as a result of that, the costs go up. You know, you got more people now, and of course, now you look at it. And as I said, when we had, when and, and ours is a very simple case in IndyCar because we don't produce anything. In other words, we don't build cars our own gearboxes. We don't do any of that, you know, we t- take things off the shelf and, and try to make them better. So whereas in 1982, when I started car racing, we might have had five or six people, you know, in the team. That was that. And, you know, today, you know, per driver, we probably have, I don't know, 25, 30 people. So, um, you know, we have our three car team here. We've got probably a hundred, right around a hundred people for, for a car that Demands no construction, no production of the needs, but obviously the ability to interpret all the data that's created every time the car goes out, you, you need you know you need the resource to be able to consume it and understand it and apply it, and so that's that's a big difference. And for you, Adrian,
3: yeah, I think um, as probably said then. The early days of data recorders, which sort of came in, yeah, somewhere around 87, um, were very simple, a kind of throttle trace, um, damper movements, and that was about it. They did, of course, tally that um, when the driver came in and said, I'm flat through turn in Indy, <laughs> you could actually see if he was right or not. And quite often he wasn't. <laughs> There's a little confidence lift that either was subconscious or, or just wasn't being fully truthful. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think then, you know, because these things are evolutionary, then you almost don't notice it because it it just comes in slowly. So if if I look back, I mean, certainly um, it wasn't, for instance, in aerodynamics then up until really kind of towards the end of, the mid to end of the 90s, then wind tunnels were your only tool there's no no such thing as cfd computational fluid dynamics and the only thing you had to help you visualize what was going on was flowvis which you probably see on the car the formula one cars and on, in fp ones um and tufts, and that was it so you you had to kind of build up your understanding of, of the flow field from very basic tools in much the same way as, as you said with race engineering then it was purely talking to the driver and then trying to understand what to do next um that is now very different and and that really is directly the, the result of computing power that it's obviously mushroomed from kind of mid-80s through so then cad systems started to come in and replace drawing boards in somewhere around the mid 90s. Um, to the point I I am the only person now left in the industry that still works on a drawing board. But um, well, for, for me, that's just a language, you know, it's, it's a, whether you use a drawing board or a CAD, I'm not sure it actually is hugely matters. It's for me, it's just a way of getting an idea from in your head onto a medium um and and since i grew up on the drawing board that's that's the language that i'm most comfortable with i'd, I'd always be slower than on a cad system than um than the kids so yeah as uh, i don't think you can say it's, it's it's very different i don't think there's a better or a worse it's, it's just different and you grow and adapt with it
1: well it's certainly proven out this year hasn't it but it it Certainly hasn't slowed down any of the cars you've designed. So uh it, it definitely works. Uh just checking with Francisca and uh Judy how long we've Got now. Do you need me to uh to wrap this? I I hate
0: I hate to be the uh the one saying we have to end, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately we didn't have uh, uh, enough time and wish we we could you know have you on for another three hours. But maybe we, we we could make it a tradition. I'd like to send an invitation to have you back maybe for a longer session next time because that was so wonderful and uh, and uh, thank you, Chris and Adrian and Bobby for you know allowing us to have you on. Uh, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> We're very grateful. So stay with us and have a wonderful uh, uh, holiday, Adrian, after uh, you're done and, and you're traveling. And then Bobby will probably uh, see you in the next uh, few races. So thank you very much for being with us.
4: Registering on ePAR trade is easy. To start, click on the join for free button on the homepage. First, Search your company to see if it's already in our database. If you see your company on the list, click on it to select it. Then, choose Claim Company if you are one of the decision makers, an owner, marketing person, or main company contact. Or choose Join Company if you are an employee, and press Continue. If you couldn't find your company in our database, select Register a new company. On the following page, fill out your name, email, phone number, job title, And choose a secure password if you chose register a new company you'll need to choose your business type select supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers choose racing business if you're looking to source new parts and connect with suppliers choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional race team then enter your company name Please provide a website, Facebook page, or LinkedIn if you have one, and choose to either claim or join the company. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Finally, click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. An email will be sent to your inbox. Please confirm your email address, and you will be approved shortly. Welcome to ePARTrade.